Hello, ED ECMO. This is Zach Shiner. We are coming to you with number two of Evid ECMO. Today we are going to be talking about Vino Venus ECMO. And I have with us the director of our critical care unit at Sharp Memorial, Dr. David Wilms. David has 25 years of experience with ECMO and has been uh, instrumental in our program here at Sharp Memorial. David, thank you for joining us today. My pleasure, Zach. Glad to be here. So today we're going to do Journal Club. We're going to talk about two different articles and we're going to talk about VV ECMO, something a little bit different. Not talking about the resuscitative component, we're talking more of the pulmonary component. And so David, can you just give us an introduction into how VV ECMO is different and what it's been used for? Yes, uh, Zach, and you know, the two articles that you've selected for our discussion today are two of the most frequently cited articles by people either enthusiastic or not enthusiastic about ECMO for adult respiratory failure, so they're very appropriate for us to discuss. When we talk about ECMO for respiratory failure and ARDS in particular, uh, most people believe that a veno-venous approach uh, of ECMO is the preferred and is, is the more typical approach that we use. It's important to say up front that studies unequivocally proving benefit of ECMO for adult respiratory failure are still lacking uh, despite a number of uh, case series and uh, several randomized controlled trials that we now have uh, access to. What is certainly true is that ECMO in general, including venovenous ECMO for respiratory failure, is much easier to perform now than it was in the past. We've had some technological improvements. It's safer, and there have been uh, improvements in general critical care as well that have gone along with that. Okay, so going along with that, we picked two trials today. The first one is the seizure trial out of England. The second one is out of Australia and New Zealand, the ANZIC trial. And we are going to look at what they showed. So these are studies that were looking at ARDS. They are studies that were looking, especially the Australian study at H1N1. So let's dive in, first of all, to the seizure, seizure trial. The seizure trial was a, a study done with, a, it was a randomized control trial. We give that benefit. It was used with an intention to treat. They had 90 patients in each arm. And they looked at these ARDS patients that were moderately severely ill, right? They had a Murray score of greater than 3, a pH of less than 7.2, but they weren't, they didn't have these high PIPs or high FO2s for greater than seven days. David, what, in, just from an ICU perspective, how sick are these people? Well, in general, you can say that a Murray score of 3 or greater uh, suggests that these were people who did have moderately severe ARDS. Um, what I uh, observed in the study is that the patients were enrolled fairly early in their course, and of course one of the exclusions in the study was someone who had been on the ventilator with high FiO2 or high distending pressures for over a week. And we do know from observational studies that have been done multiple centers in the past that being mechanically ventilated at a high level with ARDS for greater than a week and then placed on ECMO generally predicts a, a poor outcome in terms of survival. So they intentionally selected people who are early on in the course of ARDS who met a certain severity of illness, which was at least moderately severe by the way we would assess that. 
So sort of looking at this trial, this trial doesn't assess whether this is a salvage therapy for ARDS. This is really using it as a modality to treat patients early on in their course of ARDS. Right, I would agree with that. Uh, you know, as we look at the, some of the data from the trial, it appears that uh, the mean duration of mechanical ventilation prior to randomization into the study, either to get ECMO or, or not, was about 35 hours, according to their data. And then the time between randomization and initiation of treatment was another six hours. So it was really less than 48 hours into the patient's critical illness, at least after intubation, that these patients were placed on ECMO, those that were randomized in that direction. So what happens here in Great Britain, you get some patients with pretty bad lung disease. They are in an area where they are enrolled in the trial. They then have to meet this criteria that we just uh, talked about. And they're then randomized either to get sent to this referral center, which has ECMO, or stay at their regular community hospital. And one of the problems here I think you're going to talk about is that there is problems with potentially having different treatments between these two different hospitals. That's right. The way this trial was set up, it was a multicenter study conducted at dozens of hospitals in the United Kingdom all of the patients who were to receive ECMO were to be referred to one center in Glenfield, which is a world-class ECMO center uh, everyone would acknowledge. So those patients, those half of the patients who were randomized to be considered for ECMO were treated and possibly treated with ECMO in that center, whereas the control group, the conventional group, was treated at uh, one of many different centers in the country and were not referred for more specific and protocol-directed therapy. Okay, so that's a problem, right? That, that's a red flag for us to say. Did something different happen at the community hospital versus this Glenfield hospital? Now, a full one-fourth of the patients that even got put into the ECMO arm, the patients that got sent to this referral hospital, did not end up getting put on ECMO. And so both of those factors are contributory in our assessing whether this is truly ECMO, that's the factor that's, that's causing the benefit that we'll shortly see, or whether it's just other treatment modalities. True. Of course, what we really care about in the end is whether the patient does better and survives. And if you're referred for some type of treatment that involves a protocolized ventilator management and critical care management and maybe ECMO, and you do better than non-referral for that, that's still a good thing. But it means that we're studying something a little bit different than pure ECMO versus all other treatment. Right, the advantages of an attention to treat. So let's look at the, the results. The results of this study did show some benefit when you looked at the specific endpoint of six months of death or severe neurologic disability. In that scenario, there was a statistically significant benefit to the ECMO group um, with a relative risk of 0.69. Right. There was a 63% survival in the group referred as opposed to 47% survival with lack of severe disability at six months in the uh, conventional group. So if you are an ECMO enthusiast or if you're looking for a rationale to place a specific patient or group of patients on ECMO for ARDS, this trial certainly lends some support to that, but notwithstanding has you know, certain limitations, which the authors acknowledge and, and many others have commented on as well. 
So we've talked about limitations with eCPR and resuscitation literature in general. The advantage in this trial is that they do accomplish an RCT, which uh, I think is, is admirable. The disadvantage is all the things that we just talked about. Could this have been other treatment modalities that were involved? Could there have been other uh, factors that, that led to this um, benefit? Correct. I, I would say that although there are a number of things that have been discussed about the trial, the primary problem with the trial is that the, we can't be assured that the conventional treatment group, those who didn't end up getting referred to Glenfield, that they all got the same treatment and that they all got current state-of-the-art treatment, partly because it wasn't really measured and documented and also it wasn't stipulated. They were allowed, according to the instructions in the trial, to provide the best standard of care at that facility. You know, a couple of other things that if you really drill down in the article that at least gets your attention, uh, in the group that was referred for ECMO, one of the tables uh, indicates what other so-called salvage therapies those patients may have had prior to referral. Now, they were referred in less than two days, so it's not surprising to me that they didn't, that not many of them received some of these therapies, but for example, inhaled nitric oxide was used in only 10% of the cases who ultimately received ECMO, prone positioning in only 4% of the cases. Steroids were used very frequently, and they must believe in that in England because 84% of those referred received that. Now, I'm well aware, you know, we've performed studies here. Uh, we've participated in the randomized controlled INO trials, and there is no proof that INO affects mortality in ARDS either. But it is sort of a marker of a severity of illness. Some, we do continue to use it in hopes that our individual patients may have some benefit or that we might keep them alive long enough to, to resolve their illness. Prone positioning now, we at least believe from at least one very well done trial and a meta-analysis that there is a mortality benefit to patients who have severe arts being treated with prone positioning. So again, this lends more weight to those who criticize the trial in the sense that there may not have been maximal optimal treatment in the conventional treatment group. All right, so let's, let's put it on the line. Um, we, with the information we have here, with the understanding the biases, understanding the problems with this trial, in your mind, does this lend support to the use of ECMO in, v in ARDS? This lends support to the use of ECMO in ARDS, uh, no doubt in my mind, Although, as I stated at the outset, despite this trial, we're lacking uh, definitive evidence that ECMO for ARDS offers a significant mortality benefit. Great. All right. So let's move on to the second trial. Now, a little bit later in time, we start having this idea of the H1N1. Everyone's going crazy. In fact, this article is even published early, and they mention in here, I, I think, almost... Uh, like they are saving us, us in North America and Europe, that, that the Australians are publishing the H1N1 um, data on ECMO so that we can be ready for the fall when that happens. Right. You're referring to the Australia-New Zealand ECMO trial, which came out in the fall of 2009 and reported the total um, experience with ECMO for H1N1 up to that point in time in both Australia and New Zealand. And uh, this is another study that has gotten a lot of attention, and justifiably so, in the literature and in uh, discussion at, uh, at the meetings as well. It's right off the top uh, worth pointing out that this is a non-randomized controlled trial. It, it was not designed that way. 
This is, they did do prospective data collection with the intent of capturing uh, data on every patient treated with ECMO during the pandemic uh, of H1N1 influenza in the Australia-New Zealand region. And it, it's a great effort in that regard, and it does add useful information uh, to the literature. Okay, so my, my sort of critiques on this one are that, and, and you've already alluded to it, is that this is not randomized. This is observational. This is a trial where they're, they are taking patients out of these 15 hospitals that got put on ECMO, and they're comparing it to the patients that did not get put on ECMO. Now, do, do you think in the good jo- they do a good job in the paper to substantiate the fact that this is, these are not good comparisons because the patients that got put on ECMO tend to be the sicker people they're the people that were refractory to conventional therapy. But all that being said, the comparisons that they use here are really, really not, you can't substantiate them because the two groups are so different. It's not a randomized controlled trial, you know, right off the top. And so it's really difficult to put much weight on the comparison group uh, because they weren't selected in the same way that the ECMO patients were. And, you know, this wasn't an experimental study from the outset other than collecting data. So patients weren't referred based on specific criteria for ECMO. It was according to the best judgment of the clinicians. So that, like any other uh, observational study, is going to be a critique. And it's not to indicate that there's not value in this or that uh, it should not be uh, paid attention to because there, there is useful information. Let's look at some of the details, though, of the patient group that was treated and and think about that a little bit in the context of what we know about ARDS in general and also now with retrospect, you know, about H1N1 and what that epidemic was like. The median age of patients treated in the study were 34 years old. So these were young, presumably previously healthy individuals who probably up front are going to have a better chance of a good outcome from an advanced technique like ECMO. And it's not surprising because we know, and we knew at the time, that in this particular pandemic, the targets for the virus were relatively young people as opposed to the usual flu epidemic, which affects the aged and uh, infirm and those with comorbidities. Young people, obese people, and pregnant women Uh, were among the high-risk groups for severe ARDS. So this was a young group. It was all viral pneumonia, which we know, independent of ECMO, tends to have a little bit better prognosis than some of the other causes of ARDS. Uh, The survival rate was impressive, but... You know, again, we'll come back to this being an uncontrolled trial. So, yeah, so the survival rate was impressive, but the survival rate of the conventional therapy was also very impressive. And so it's, it sort of speaks to this idea that these are not as sick patients as we were talking about as in the CSER trial. Right, and we, we also have some additional data from the article similar to the CSER trial about other therapies that were tried before ECMO in these individuals. And in the article, you'll see that prone positioning was tried 12 times, which represents 20% of the cases. So I would just say parenthetically, in my hands, it would be unusual that we would put someone on venovenous ECMO for ARDS. I'm not talking about any other type of ECMO, but for ARDS, it would be unusual that we wouldn't have tried prone positioning if that was at all feasible prior to considering a more dangerous and expensive and labor-intensive therapy. Likewise, INO was used relatively infrequently, about a third of the time. 
We don't know from the article whether corticosteroids were used. And I, and I bring it up because I think that there were some people in the world, and myself included at the time, who anecdotally felt that corticosteroids might have been beneficial in uh, the particular case of H1N1 pneumonia. There was a trial uh, shortly after this one, an observational study that came from South America uh, that suggested that outcomes were better with the use of uh, moderate-dose corticosteroids in patients with ARDS and H1N1. So there's that, subject to the same critique. Um, my own experience was that I did see uh, several patients respond well to that. I did uh, write the corresponding author of this study at the time to ask what the number of patients were who received steroids, and he said that he felt sure that some did, but he just did not have that data and couldn't provide it. Let me just tell you what our experience was at Sharp Memorial during the H1N1 pandemic. And it actually did occur about the same time as it did in Australia and New Zealand. Initial cases were reported in the early spring in Mexico, and then San Diego was affected very early on. Uh, and then it spread uh, throughout California and North America. And we had in the intensive care unit uh, approximately 12 patients over the summer and into the fall who had severe ARDS, were mechanically ventilated, and had uh, proven or highly suspect H1N1. We had only one of those patients die. He was an elderly man who had, an, had a progressive uh, malignancy and multi-organ system failure and comorbidities before it and was actually had withdrawal of life support. All other patients we treated survived, and we treated no one with ECMO. We had one referred from outside for consideration, and we treated him with conventional low tidal volume ventilation, prone positioning. He didn't need ECMO. So again, a very uncontrolled case series, if you wish, but uh, very sick patients who appear to be similar in description in terms of if you looked at Murray scores, they would be very similar to the CSER trial and to the ANS ECMO trial as well. Okay, so um, kind of summing this article up, does this article in your mind, David, uh, give support for VV ECMO or is this sort of a wash in your mind? Well, it's kind of like a question that you'd be asked in a medical legal examination, yeah. you know, is it more or less uh, yeah. likely that this would be beneficial? What it, and, and I can't really say that. I, I think what it tells me is that you can successfully do ECMO with a fairly good survival rate in patients who have very severe ARDS with viral pneumonia. Now, we kind of knew that anyway, but this is one of the larger case series in the world that, uh, involving specifically viral pneumonia. So I think, it, you know, I'm, I'm not going to use this article to help me judge in an individual patient whether or not to apply ECMO for ARDS. All right. Well, this is great. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Uh, these are two of the big trials out there assessing VV ECMO. We will be looking at more articles in the future, and we will be looking at more ways that we can increase our knowledge of how to use ECMO and what are the right patients to use it in. David, any final thoughts for us here? Yeah, I don't want to give the impression that uh, I am a naysayer to ECMO for ARDS in total. Uh, I certainly have applied it a number of times over the years, including in recent years when we've sort of had a resurgence of interest in that. I think that, you know, if you're thoughtful about in whom to apply this uh, therapy to and you have exhausted your other 
conventional and maybe slightly unconventional salvage therapies uh, that this might be the right thing to do and selected patients who do have otherwise a, a reasonable chance of recovery. But that said, uh, when I'm asked, you know, what are the specific criteria for applying it in ARDS, I'm hard pressed to come up with that. You'll see published recommendations and they're all, unfortunately, when you become very specific, you include a larger group of people who probably don't need that therapy. And so that's one of the conundrums with, uh, with ECMO and ARDS and obviously more studies needed. Awesome. So take-home points, Caesar trial today, randomized control trial assessing ARDS and VV ECMO, the ANZEC trial uh, looking at H1N1, an observational trial, uh, and both of these uh, studies have been used intricately for VV ECMO defense as well as rebuttal. David, thank you again so much from ED ECMO signing off.